I come from a long line and a legacy of race car drivers and auto mechanics. And actually, I'm the first male of four generations not to fix cars, race cars, or own more than three cars at the same time. <laughs> actually, for my grandfather, it was more like 300 in like his front yard. It was straight up Tennessee, as you would imagine it. Um, all that to say, I'm a big racing fan, and I would still consider myself above average driver, um, which actually gets me more in trouble uh, than it helps uh, sometimes. And here's what I mean. We all know that there are black and white rules of the road, but then there's good driving. <laughs> and most people follow the black and white, but not all people regularly practice good driving. And uh, it just comes so intuitively to me that when I see others not practicing good driving, it just bubbles up within me really quick. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Um, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but that frustration would, it would get a hold of, of my driving. It would take a hold of the steering wheel. Uh, take the zipper effect, for example. Uh, you might have heard of the zipper effect. Did you know that in a full parking lot with only one exit, uh, the parking lot empties quicker if the main line exiting would allow the other lines trying to get to the exit every other car to enter in like a zipper. It's called the zipper effect. It's the same, same idea as uh, a construction zone. Uh, you're merging from multiple lanes down to one lane. Uh, it would go a lot faster, uh, several times quicker, if the main line were just to allow cars every other, and the whole thing would just, whew, and we're on our way. Um, but most people, they want to guard their spot. Like, oh, don't you get in here. This is my spot. And it just slows everybody down. That person doesn't get anywhere any faster, and neither does anybody else. And I see it, and I, what are you doing? It just would work if you would just do it. Um, so I see that. Uh, I see the bad driving. I get frustrated. It's just so intuitive to me, and I can't help it. So when you see me drafting down Poe to get a little bit better fuel economy, you know what's going on. I just can't help myself. I'm, I'm always thinking that way. I get in the car, I see traffic, and I think, efficiency. Where's the checkered flag? I like, I'm in that mode. Um, one thing that's helped me in recent years, uh, to be a little bit better about this, a little bit more conscious to take off the helmet, so to speak, has been this really cool covenant initiative um, to put this big old 4BG sticker on the rear windshield of your car <laughs> so that everybody will associate your actions, usually love-filled acts of kindness, with your driving and everything that you do. And um, that's really great, <laughs> except for when I want to do something else other than love-filled acts of kindness. Um, so I get frustrated, I'm ready to do something, pull some sort of maneuver, um, but then I look in my rear, shield, rear mirror and I see the sticker, and I sit there, and I don't do anything. Why does that help? <laughs> Why does the sticker change? Actually, confession, um, a few weeks ago I was driving in Detroit, and traffic got a little bit busy, and... I was getting a little bit frustrated, and I look in the mirror, I see the sticker, and I go, okay. And then I went, wait a minute. 
nobody here knows what this sticker means. <laughs> so I zig and zag, and it's the Daytona 500, and that happens. So I'm not perfect, but why does this sticker help? What does it do? What does the sticker change? Well, more than the social pressure of misrepresenting my church community, um, what it does for me, the simple, simple sticker actually interrupts my thoughts. It interrupts my actions. It causes me to see through the other car, realize that it's not driving itself, and that there's an actual human being sitting there. And to consider that my actions, whatever they might be, actually have the power to influence that person's life, even if just for a moment. Your actions have the power to influence the lives of the people around you, where you are, where you're going, and in every roadblock in between. This morning, we're going to read a brief story about Jesus, and we're going to watch as he navigates the foot traffic of his day, and we're going to see what he does as he's on his way to heal a dying little girl. You can read it with me. We're going to start in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. Did you see what Jesus does in the midst of the crowd? He looks for the individual. Look at it again with me. Jesus is on his way to do something really important, and it is urgent. The text says that this daughter is dying, and she is not going to make it unless Jesus gets there. So time is absolutely critical. He's on his way, but the scripture also says that not just that there are some people around, but that there is a large crowd pressing around him, bumper to bumper. And you can almost feel the angst in the disciples' voice when Jesus stops and says, who touched my robe? 
the, the disciples who are probably sliding in and around. And, excuse me, we, we're going somewhere. Um, Jesus stops and asks that question. And they're like, what do you mean who touched? Do you not see the traffic? There is nothing but traffic in our way. What are you talking about? All they can see is traffic. But Jesus sees people. And isn't that us? I, I know it's me. Um, all I see is traffic. Even here on a Sunday, if you've been here for any more than one Sunday, you know that especially between services, the foyer becomes a high traffic area. <laughs> There's a lot of people coming and going. How many of us find ourselves, like the disciples, sliding in and around. Excuse me, uh, i got to get my refill of coffee. Uh, excuse me, let me reach through. There's my coat hook, thanks. Oh, there's a crowd right here at the door. I better get around them so that I can... Ah, here's my seat. Here we go. All we see is traffic. But Jesus looks for the individual. And it's more than that he becomes aware, because the scripture said that. He, he realized, he knew, he was aware that the woman was there, that what had happened. But he looks for her so that he can give his attention to her. Because awareness and attention are not the same thing. They're different. Think about it. Don't you think children, parents in the room, know the difference between when mom and dad are aware that they're in the room versus when they have been given attention. I was a teacher. Don't you think that my middle school and high school students noticed the difference between when I was aware that there were students in my classroom versus when I was giving my attention? Absolutely. You better believe it. In addition to my role here at Covenant, my wife Jenny and I um, are also on staff with Crew at BGSU, uh, where we're regularly joining students in their faith development and equipping them to do the work of drawing and developing and deploying their peers into a lifetime of experiencing Jesus and pointing others to Jesus just like they are doing. It's really exciting work that we get to do. And actually, this past January, um, we took a group of our student leaders to Philadelphia for a week trip of just different things of engaging in ministry training and starting conversations, things as simple as that, serving with our hands, um, all those, these sorts of things. And one afternoon, we had planned to practice starting conversations with people at a major train station, um, just to start a conversation. Let's practice. What does that actually look like to do? Um, but it was actually the walk that we took to get there that opened my eyes the most. Throughout the week, as our group walked from place to place, it wasn't unusual to spot an orange needle cap discarded here and there after any number of illicit drug uses. Take your pick. They're there. They're pretty small, pretty easy to miss. But on this walk, guided through some of the 
highest concentrated blocks of illegal drug use and sale in the city, these caps became harder to ignore. As we pressed on through one stretch of sidewalk, like a family-sized bag of orange Skittles, scattered. They were everywhere, and they were absolutely unavoidable. And it was right at that moment, when I'm appalled at how many are here, that I hear from in front of our group, Hi there! We're all headed to 30th Street Station. How are you today? Me lifting my eyes, I noticed the guide, the person leading our group, um, addressing a handful of men and women adjacent to the pile of caps that I was looking at. Me doing the math, I was not going to address those people. I would have chosen to simply avoid them. Our whole group was aware that we were approaching them. We had actually passed several different people and had engaged them, but this felt different, and I was not about to give them my attention. We were headed somewhere. We're going to start conversations, but we're not there yet. How often do we speed through our day, navigating our way around potential interruptions, just so we can get where we're going. Just like the cap, people are easy to miss. So we avoid interruptions. But actually, interruptions are opportunities. Interruption is opportunity. For what? To see others through a lens of love. To give our attention away, to remind us that actually we aren't rulers of our own kingdom, but we're co-rulers and gods. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, the truth is, of course, that what we call the interruptions are precisely our real life, the life God is sending us day by day. I don't see interruptions that way. But Jesus clearly saw interruptions this way because he welcomed them with a smile. Come back to Galilee with me. This woman, for 12 years, suffering with her disease, but not only that, 12 years declared ritually unclean, which meant 12 years of people avoiding her, 12 years of her longing for anyone somebody just to look at her and acknowledge that she exists. And Jesus, as he's walking from the shore to the house where this little girl is dying, thinking nothing but, oh, this daughter, Lord, be with this daughter, daughter, tug. Jesus is interrupted. And when his eyes meet her eyes, what does he call her? Daughter. Smiling at the realization that the daughter that he was going to save was not the only daughter in God's plan for his day. And I can only imagine how that loving look from Jesus 
absolutely transformed the way that she saw herself, the way that she walked on that road and remembered, but not just that road, but all the roads throughout her life. She was transformed. And that is actually what the Connect team does. That's what we do. That's why we exist. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Connect team has three key values that we focus on as we serve, um, whether it's the greeters at the door, ushers in here, people serving coffee. I see Mike right now. <laughs> now he's looking at me. Um, the info center. We have three key values as we do all those different things. And the first key value is kind eyes. It's kind eyes. The best connections start with a pair of kind eyes that say, I see you, and you are worth my attention. Because that absolutely changes the way a person sees themselves. Especially somebody walking in our doors for the first time, unsure of themselves in a crowd of strangers, wondering what am I going to expect around the corner. Each serving area is doing this. Actually, my friend Lexi, you might know her, she does a lot of things around here, but um, she also serves at the Info Center, and she would tell you that the reason she serves at the Info Center now is because she felt seen her first Sunday at the Info Center. As she approached the counter to drop off her Connect card, she was the opportunity that that volunteer was looking for that day. And now it's Lexi's joy to voluntarily interrupt her Sunday rhythm so that she can be available looking for the opportunity to do the same thing for someone else. But even more than what someone might experience through our kind eyes on this hour of the week, part of why I love what I do is because I absolutely believe that the more we practice, the better we see. The more we practice, the better we see. I love when I get to encourage the Connect team in all the different ways that they're serving because, and we say this often around here, but we are a church of the 167. That is to say that if there are 168 hours in a week, the ways that we look to serve, to give our attention away during this one hour helps us to better see all the opportunities that God has for us to give our attention away every other hour of the week. And that gets me so excited when I get to encourage that and see it happening here because I know that that's setting the stage and fresh eyes for everywhere else. Maybe some of you here this morning don't hear anything else I actually say this morning because this is actually what you need. I don't know if that's you, but there is a sign-up on the Info Center counter right now available for you to jot down your name and say, yeah, I think I'd like to try that. I think I'd like to serve on the Connect team. Because maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need a regular rhythmic refocus here so that you have fresh eyes everywhere else that you go. And I would love nothing more than to be the one encouraging you and cheering you on as you do that. But for everyone here this morning, hear this. Every believer is challenged to a life of holy interruption. 
We are both saved by holy interruption and called into a life of holy interruption. It's not just a good idea that I just came up with, but it is the actual kind of abundant life that Jesus came to live, that we might be made whole, and the kind of life that he's recreating within us. Because we're natural interruption avoiders. We want to avoid that. We see and we take every opportunity, every quickest route for our own desires, blowing by, trampling over anyone in our way, and it's only Jesus who can set that right. Not just so that we don't do that, but so that we welcome an interruption when it's in our life. We see and we take. Jesus sees and he gives. Check out Philippians 2. Paul writes this. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the image of men. Did you see it? Jesus is a see and give kind of God. I'll read it again. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not see equality with God as a thing to be taken, but he gave himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus is a see and give kind of God, and without him, we are stuck in a see and take kind of mentality. It's all over scripture. On the first pages of the Bible, the first humans see the fruit of the tree of knowing good and bad, and they take it for themselves. Later, Abraham and Sarah are promised a child. They see their Egyptian slave, and they take her for themselves. Aaron, at the bottom of Mount Sinai, sees the gold of his people, and he takes it so that he can make a golden calf. The whole nation of Israel sees kings of nations around them. They desire Saul, and they take him for themselves, and that doesn't go go so well. David sees the beautiful woman and takes her for himself. And over and over again we watch as the human temptation to see and take wrecks havoc and chaos all for our own selfish desires until Jesus, who prays, not your will, oh, I'm sorry, not my will, but your will, God. He sees you and me and he interrupts the pattern of human history not by taking, but by giving his life away so that we might be made whole. And that's the difference between lost and found. Not that you have what it takes, but that Jesus did, and he interrupted human history to give it all away for you. So, church, knowing that our lives have been transformed only by the ultimate interruption of Jesus, who might, you inter- who might interrupt you this week? Will you see them? Will they get your attention? Would you be courageous enough to ask God where in your life he wants to send you a holy interruption? What if you were to wake up tomorrow and simply pray, God, would you interrupt me today? and help me to see the opportunity. Maybe even before you leave, 
before all the things that you have planned for today, before you go home and change, before you decide where you're going to have lunch, even before you find a familiar face to chat with, maybe your first step is to voluntarily interrupt your Sunday rhythm just to learn someone's name. Because we will be a people who welcome interruptions, who look for the individual and give our attention away. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that all too often I am racing through life never even noticing who it is that I'm passing. Would you open our eyes, soften our hearts to see and to welcome the holy interruptions that you prepare for us? We thank you for seeing us. Would you see us now and help us to see others, to give our attention away, so that they might know and experience yours, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.